0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck.
1: This was the sound last night about 3 a.m. Eastern Time. That is the sound of hostages being released. I think the award for the most busy and important job in the world today goes to Mike Pompeo. He has been the secretary of state for 14 days, and yet he's manning the post of America's top diplomat at a time when war is very real, a very real possibility in multiple places. In Asia, he has already traveled to North Korea not once, but twice, and nobody even knew about it. If my math is correct, let's see uh, let's carry the one. That's two more times than anybody from the previous two administrations traveled over there in more than 16 years. Now the fruits of these labors in the last year or two with President Trump have been huge. President Trump may be the first U.S. sitting president to sit down with a North Korean leader. Is that good? Is that bad? We don't know. So far, it has been good. Pompeo returned from North Korea just last night. This time, he arrived with three American citizens that have been held captive for years in a North Korean labor camp. The last time the United States negotiated the release of U.S. captives, it involved the Obama administration, Iran, and a bribe of over $400 million in cash. News flash to the dictators of the world. We don't do business that way anymore. Now back to Pompeo for a second. While the potential conflict in Asia seems to be going well, there's a second conflict. This one in the Middle East. It's beginning to heat up. Last night was an example of it. As Pompeo was arriving in the United States last night, Iran was doing something they've never done before. Listen. You're listening to the sound of Iranian rockets taking off from Syria on their way to northern Israel. Last night, the Iranian Quds force launched their first attack ever on Israel from inside Syria. The Iron Dome surface-to-air defense system was very busy, engaging up to 20 missiles at a time. The IDF has been anticipating this attack and immediately launched a counterattack. There was an all-out strike on every Iranian Quds Force location inside of Syria. Up to 50 Iranian targets were struck. This is not the end of this conflict. You can bank on the fact that this is merely the opening salvo from both sides. The next war in the Middle East will be Israel and Iran. The question is, did it officially begin last night? So to Mike Pompeo, probably the busiest and most important man in the world right now. Good luck. We're praying for your success and no pressure anything. But the fate of the world may rest in your hands.
0: It's Thursday, May 10th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
1: You know, is there any truth anymore? Do we, do we, do we, do we even recognize that there is truth? I mean, there's a lot of truth that we can argue about. You know, is there a God? Well, I believe there is, but it is my belief. You can't prove it. Is there not a God? You can't prove it. Well, we're, you know, we're living in a multiverse. No, maybe not. Prove it. You can't. So there's some things that we can argue about, but we can never prove. And we all have to stop pretending that we know the answer because we don't. We know the answer that we're comfortable with. But there are some things that the truth matters. And we are now living in a postmodern world that teaches us there is no truth. There is no truth. It's your truth. You know, one one man's terrorist is a is another man's freedom fighter. Well, I think Israel the, Israel was wrong in this. Well, no, we can we can take the facts of a situation, and and we can look at. Where is the poison coming from? But nobody's going to give you an objective truth on that. There's no right or wrong anymore. In, in Ireland, they are now trying to ban abortions. And so what happens? Well, YouTube has decided to ban all pro-life videos for this leading up to this vote in Ireland. So, if you have a pro-choice point of view, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. It's, it's, it's not right. It's, it's, it's against their policies now. I'm sure they'll solve this until the you know once the election is over. In the meantime, on YouTube, there is a new channel that that is showing parents talking to their children about gender. Listen.
0: So, if a person with a wiener. Says, Hey, I'm a girl. What is that person? A girl. A boy. A female. <laughs> Behold, gender identity. <laughs> when you went to kindergarten, you mm-hmm. went by she/her. Yeah. And you wore dresses, and some people said
2: they wanted me to, to be a different gender.
0: They they didn't want you to be a girl. Oh
2: no, people were being mean or non data.
0: Now you're they-them.
2: People should call you your actual gender. They-them, she-her, he-him, or none.
0: Myself, I identify as trans non-binary, so
3: the surgery that I'm going to have, all of this is going to be gone.
0: How do you feel about that?
4: Mm.
3: Still I still have mixed feelings still about mixed that. feelings. How many genders are there? Infinity <laughs> What? <laughs> is this is confusing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Very. hmm Now there's infinity genders. Infinity. There's only there's only your truth. There is no truth. X and Y chromosome. Remember. A Chinese dress on a white girl in high school or an Indian character on a cartoon show or a Vietnamese sandwich at a college cafeteria, a sombrero, a headdress, a kimono, a poncho. My culture is not your prom dress. Does anybody notice that this is all becoming a laughingstock? This is all this is going to be remembered in history as the moment the world went insane The hunt began with trace amounts of legitimacy, with outrage at understandably offensive things. But then it just kind of spiraled into an ever-growing list of offensives. So so numerous were these offenses, and so minor that they had to create a term for them. They called them microaggressions. And now the entire world is a microaggression. Doesn't matter. You get up in the morning. You are performing a microaggression on somebody. The Atlantic has just published a 1900 word examination of the concept of cultural appropriation, which lies at the heart of all of these identity politics and the PC culture. In other words, it is the ultimate microaggression. One startling revelation, the Chinese dress that the woman wore as her prom dress in what has become a firestorm of political correctness, that dress, in fact, was co-opted from European culture. Yes, it was culturally appropriated. The article is titled Every, cultural, uh, Every Culture Appropriates, and it examines many examples of the so-called cultural appropriation throughout history. The conclusion is potent, quoting The policemen of cultural appropriation don't think that way. They have a morality tale to tell. One Western victimization of non Western peoples, a victimization so extreme that it is triggered by a Western girl purchase of a Chinese dress designed precisely so that Chinese girls could live more like Western girls. But in order to tell the story, the policemen of cultural appropriation must crush and deform much of the truth of cultural history. And in the process, demean and, 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 and make baby talk. And make babies out of the people they supposedly champion. Amid the cries of appropriation, there is an utter brilliance at play. At least there was by accusing people of using power to intimidate less powerful people. They become empowered. That is the idea, right? And that's brilliant. However, it's beginning now to act out Fox the rule makers. Because the web of violations and aggressions and offensives have grown so thick and so many vine that it is assumed the, the very people who contrived it in the first place, the people who came up with it, the people who were teaching it are now starting to fall into their own trap. The culture police who have devoted their entire lives to exposing the injustices have themselves become the insensitive and ignorant bullies that they supposedly pursued. It's mind-numbing. The behavior, incredibly sharp and massively intelligent. Their world, of course, finds its basis in theories. A life of abstractions. There is no black and white. This is a revolution. It's combative. It's oozing with rancor. And now those are the followers who have just followed the lead of professors who most often, especially in the humanities, sell all of these ideas as facts. But there are no facts. What we have learned is there's tremendous power in accusations of racism and privilege. And with these accusations, they become powerful. And what makes the approach so effective, so immune to any other argument is the philosophical basis of postmodernism, relativism? When it's all fused together, you have nothing but a group of ideas that disagree with themselves, and if you argue those ideas, that are in conflict with one another, you would be laughed away if it wasn't for the foundational premise that there is no objective truth, only your truth. Saul Alinsky, he wrote, on the subject of relativism, he said, I'm not concerned if this faith in people is regarded as a prime truth and therefore a contradiction of what I've already written, for life is a story of contradictions. Yes, it is. It is a story of contradictions, Mr. Alinsky. But the world doesn't live in chaos, and the world doesn't like chaos, and people can't live in chaos. Contradictions do exist, no doubt. But there are there, they're like tangled wires. And at some point, nothing works, and you have to track that wire all the way back to find out if it's even plugged in. If you can untangle the wires, people will untangle them because it will make life easier, safer, more understandable. The left doesn't see it. They have become the authority, the power structure, the bullies. They've taken control To them, their voices deserve to be the loudest. And no one with opinions contrary to theirs deserves to be speaking at all. Except there is a new politics that is forming. The intellectual dark web. The mass exodus of people from the left. People who have always considered themselves liberal but can no longer suffer through the hysteria of the left. With their NPR tote bags all caked in soot and their ball caps, you know, logoed with the New Yorker. They feel homeless and they feel bereft. These expats need a place to go. Well, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Yearning to breathe free. Invite them in. Their faces hang dark and disbelieving, slack and expressionless. Come in. Come in. Grab a seat. You've got to be exhausted. let one million children, victims of identity fraud in 2017. That's according to a new report. A million children. And the most common perpetrator is a family friend with limited to no financial history. Children are the most likely to be victims of of new account fraud. So a family friend comes in, you have a baby, and they're like, oh, I can take that ID. ID. Can you imagine that? What kind of dirtbag is stealing the identity of a baby? A million, a million children in the last year, and the most, uh, the the most common perpetrator is a friend.
5: That's incredible. That's incredible. Not wow. really a friend. Uh, just to no, break that geezers, to you, that, I not think we need actually a, new a definition <laughs> of friendship.
1: <laughs> that word might not mean what you think it means. So what they do is they go apply for a credit card or you know whatever a loan in your child's name, and nobody catches it until your child grows up. Lifelock, the new Lifelock identity theft protection, adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you have a problem, they have the agents who will work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new Lifelock with Mort- Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to lifelock.com or call 1-800-lifelock and use the promo code back for an additional 10% off your first year. That's promo code back. Get an additional 10% off now at lifelock.com 1-800-lifelock. Have you noticed um, the the lack of uh, video, I would say, uh, from the left on on uh, the Triumphant return of these three American citizens. <laughs> That's a real stunner, Glenn. I can't understand why no, that would happen. I I know, but this one is a pretty big. I mean, this is there's no partisan politics in this one at all. This is a no. great American story. Because I'm, you know, as I said,
5: uh, somewhat skeptical of whether in ten years we'll look back at this North Korea thing and be excited about it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm I'm really hopeful. And we've come a long way but we won't know but for 10 we years we won't know we won't know until trump is long out of office whether this actually works or not Correct. um and so i'm a skeptic on that however whether you're a skeptic on that or not these are three people coming back this in a way and i it's somewhat similar to this you know but much better than what happened with iran i mean we paid them a bunch of money and they gave us their hostages while i thought that was a terrible idea I'm still glad our hostages are back mm-hmm. here. This is real hope, and the hostages are back. We haven't given up anything yet, so this is considerably better. Both scenarios, though, I'm glad that they're back on our soil. But I'm just,
1: um, I'm, I mean, it shows how deeply uh, disturbed the people in the media have become. I will say, I heard a very
5: lengthy segment on CNN earlier today in which they were pretty complimentary about the way it went down um there has been some there has been some and you know with trump i think that's as good as you're ever going to get yeah yeah I mean, I, you know honestly he could you know I, it, they hate him obviously yeah I mean, and no it's question. not
1: universal i mean there are those exceptions and i i have to tell you I, I i wrote to our editor this morning and said hello uh you know where's the video where are the stories because the stories are remarkable these three men are remarkable people Uh, and I haven't seen enough of that yet. Yeah. They're, they're really, they're all three devout Christians who were, who were in North Korea trying to help people. Uh, you know, they were all three teachers. They, they, they may have been involved in, you know, underground activity of trying to help Christians in North Korea. I don't personally have a problem with that. I mean, I think that makes them heroic. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that they were CIA spies, Uh, But I also I'm not sure that they weren't there, you know, undermining the the atheist aspect of North Korea by trying to help, you know, believers and help people escape. And I don't have a problem with you want to escape a a concentration camp riddled communist country. I'm all for these guys. I think they're heroes and they're returning and and. we should recognize the triumph here, but also who these guys really are. Welcome home to three Americans. They're all, they're all uh, South Koreans or Koreans and, uh, and moved to the United States, naturalized U.S. citizen. The first one is Kim Dong-chul. He was uh, taken by the North Korean police on on uh, October 2nd, 2015. He was accused of spying. He is a resident of Virginia, and we all know that if you live in Virginia, what else is in Virginia, Stu? Um, yeah. The farm. The farm. The farm. Farm. CIA. CIA. Yeah. So if you're a resident of Virginia, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Right. So Thank you he for beca- asking me. He became- <laughs> You're very good. He became a, an American citizen in 1987. He's lived with his wife uh, in China since 2001. He worked just across the North Korean border uh, in a special economic zone where he ran a hotel service company. He is also a pastor. This is his biggest crime, I'll bet you. Very little was known about his status until a news crew interviewed him during their uh, visit in January 2016. He told reporters during a news conference organized by uh, Kim Jong Un that he was a spy. He apologized for stealing military secrets in confusion with South Koreans and called his own actions unpardonable.
5: And you have to take his word on that one.
1: Oh yeah, he was, he was in the hands <laughs> yeah, right. of the North Koreans. Of course. North Korea ex- um, accused him of receiving a USB drive in various papers containing nuclear secrets during a meeting with a defector of the regime. One day after the trial, he was sentenced to 10 years of, for har- of hard labor for his supposed espionage. The previous victims of the regime have explained that they were also forced to make similar public declarations of their guilt after being tortured despite being uh, innocent. So that's that's number one guy. Number two that came home yesterday was Kim H- H- uh, Hak Song, otherwise known as Jin, I think it's Zhu Song. He had been working at the University of Science and Technology in uh, Ponyang, how do you say it? the Peng Yang- Pyongyang? Yeah, Pyongyang. Pyongyang. So it's Pyongyang. Pyongyang. You- Pyong- Pyongyang. 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 I'm glad I live in America. Okay, <laughs> wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be Asian? I can't. I can't uh, appropriate anybody's culture because I can't speak it. No, I can barely speak this. I can barely speak English. It's your only line between a sumo wrestler. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so uh, Pyongyang. Pyongyang. Yang. Pyongyang. 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 I Pyong. don't know. I can't hear the difference. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Anyway, mm. uh, <laughs> we're going to call it Pust from here because it's Pyongyang. Pyongyang. University of Science and Technology. P-U-S-T. Anyway, he was working for that in Pyongyang. He was undertaking <laughs> agricultural development uh, and working with the school's farm. So people from... Pyongyang we're 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 trying to figure out how to farm which would be a good thing in Pyongyang because there's no farm there's no there's no food (laughs) not a lot of food going on no unfortunately so he was arrested at a railway station in um, Pyongyang probably I'm just guessing at this (laughs) point (laughs) but you look at me and I think I should probably say Pyongyang (laughs) yeah yeah. on suspected uh, on suspicion of committing Pyongyang. <laughs> no, hostile oh, okay, acts okay. against the government. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was boarding a train headed for his uh home in Dangdong, China. Kim, he's in his mid-50s. He was born in China, educated at the University of California. Uh, he returned to China after 10 years of living in the U.S., where he is a citizen. Uh, it was founded, the university that he is, uh, work, was working for, founded by evangelical Christians overseas and opened in 2010. They have a number of American faculty members, or, or did. Pupils are generally children from the North's elite. Not known whether he was uh, you know, sentenced for his supposed hostile acts. We have no idea why he was even in prison. Then there's Kim sang Duck. Korean-American, Kim Sang-dong, known as Tony Kim, which I like much better. Uh, <laughs> you, you're going to go with his uh, also known as? On I'm going to go as, mm-hmm. as Tony Kim. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was arrested uh, at the main airport in um,
5: Pyongyang, Pyongyang. As, he, uh,
1: as he tried to leave the country after uh, teaching several weeks as a guest lecturer at Pust. So he was at the same university. Same university. U- same university. He's a uh, former professor of University of Science and Technology in China, which is close to the Korean border. Uh, His uh, website uh, lists his specialties as accounting, and I'm guessing that you get an accountant and steal the accounting secrets of North Korea. We got (laughs) a lot of zeros to add up over there. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, He graduated from the University of California, Riverside in 1990, a master's degree in business administration again. Steal their business and accounting secrets, mm. and we rule the world. Um, he is in his late fifties he was involved in relief activities for children in rural parts of North Korea. He is a according to sources, a religiously devoted man, so these are all all three of these guys are evangelical Christians who seem to be motivated to go over there to help people. He was detained with his wife um, at the sunan International airport two thousand and seventeen while waiting for a flight. Police later arrested Kim, but did not explain why his wife was allowed to leave the country. Um, Pust said the arrest was not related to his work at the university. In his Facebook post, Kim Sung said that his family had no contact with him since the arrest. And he didn't know until last night that he is soon to become a grandfather. Oh, wow. So these are the three Americans that came home yesterday.
5: And all this happened in or around... Pung, yang pun yang yang uh, <laughs> yang i don't ever have to go i don't really care <laughs> uh, they uh, I was listening to some of the journalists who were there, and they had to just wait in the lobby of the hotel because you can't leave, you can't walk out of the street without a, without a government you know uh, chaperone, so they sat in the lobby of the hotel waiting. For uh, Pompeo to go up and do, you know, his his negotiation, and they would come down and uh, they would update the journalists as they sat in the lobby. And the word is that they, including Pompeo, no one knew if they were taking them out. They didn't know he, he didn't know if he was meeting Kim Jong Un while he was there, and he did not know for sure that they were taking them out. Fingers crossed, but no, no actual knowledge that they were going to be able to remove the prisoners last night. I mean, it's been rumored for weeks.
1: But they did not know for sure that they were going to actually get them out of there. What is it like to live in a state that is that clamped down? I mean, I don't ever want to know. I'm a little freaked out that we might be going that direction. Yeah. Uh, But uh, what is it like to live in a state like that?
5: Jeez, I mean, I can't even imagine it. It's so much that you take for granted is just gone. I mean, you can't walk outside by yourself. That's, you know, again, it's typical of Americans. And myself to complain about many things uh, that, uh, you know, when you have something that's very, very good, which has been the United States for its history, Mm -hmm. when you see flaws in that, it's the only thing you notice. It's Mm -hmm. like a pretty face with a a scar on it, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. the first thing you might notice. That being said... It's a hell of a lot better than what the heck's going on over there.
1: Well, what's going on over there is, you know, for instance, you have a complaint. You don't make the complaint. You don't question the state ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And we think that we're so very religiously tolerant. However, there are problems here in the United States. If you are, I mean, to me, what these guys did is they went over and they were evangelical Christians and they were helping people. I'm guessing that's why they they weren't actually spying on accounting secrets. They were not spying on (laughs) accounting secrets. I think they were just Christians helping possibly undercover Christians. And to be clear, when you when you do something like that, you know, this is the
5: risk, you know, that the North Korean regime may put you in prison forever. And you do it because you believe what you're doing is more important than what happens to you. And that's why these guys are heroes.
1: There are two stories. Uh, One is on the blaze today. um, And the other one is at glenbeck.com. Two stories, same subject. And I think they're the only ones you're going to find anywhere about what's happening here in Dallas with religious persecution. Uh, And, you know, the Christians have been, you know, all up in arms about religious persecution. And the ones who are really leading the charge on this this time... Are are the Jews? I mean, it's amazing what the Jewish people have done uh, with in Syria and trying to ring the bell in Syria. Um, I find it remarkable. This time, it's not Christians that are in trouble; it is Jews that are in trouble here in Dallas, uh, in the United States. You know, we we all think that we can all live together and live side by side. There is a rabbi who. Um, Is is not allowed to hold religious services in a place that he's been holding religious services for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. What's crazy about this story is at first you kind of go, well, maybe there's some religious persecution. I don't know. I mean, maybe do they have a point? You know, you never want to you never want to jump to, hey, this is happening because of what that person believes. This is the only thing that you can come up with because. The last hurdle, they, they've wanted to have a synagogue and the city keeps rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and keep adding new things. Oh, you got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. Well, they do all of it. And then the city says, nope, but you got to do this. And they do that. Nope, you got to do this. Well, what the hell's happening here? And the latest rejection, the one that caught my eye, was that they needed a parking variance for Saturdays. Okay, well, um, hmm. why would we need a parking variance for Saturdays? Because Saturday is the Sabbath, and anyone who is coming to synagogue is walking because no Orthodox Jew can drive a car. Why do we need a variance? I can't operate until... You grant me a variance, which you won't grant me for parking, which we won't use on Saturday. So one of the real strong organizations that stand up for religious liberty, um, we've had him on the show many, many times, is involved in this fight. And we have the rabbi coming in and uh, and he's going to tell this story. There's something really wrong here with this. And if we believe in religious liberty, we have to uncover the, um, the, the, the wounds that are currently being inflicted. Forget about the past. Let's take care of the things that are currently happening. And uh, we'll bring that story to you. You can read that story at theblaze.com or at glenbeck.com. Uh, and uh, we have them coming in for uh, in just a minute. But I really think that we need to rally around You know, should you find this story valid? I do. Um, But should you find this story valid? I think we really need to rally around and change this behavior. Um, There is an opportunity for Christians and Jews to come together unlike I've ever seen. Unlike ever before in history, a miracle is happening. Let's make sure that uh, our communities know that we need to trust each other and we need to stand hand in hand with judeo christian ethics we're in this one together okay so anybody else last night wake up in a cold sweat and go jeez uh, yeah sunday's mothers day and i still haven't done anything uh you we we you, you got to get this done you got to get this done is it thursday today uh, I think it's Thursday today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Remember, it was a week ago tomorrow. I said, I'm going to tell you, and you'll be sitting there next week and you won't have it done. And then you're going to be like, oh, crap. Today, make today the day you do this. 1 800 flowers.com. Order 24 multicolored roses plus a free vase starting at $29.99. Beautiful roses, rainbow of colors guaranteed to make her smile they're the perfect thing for mom and mother's day for all the moms in your life they're 1-800 flowers.com that are picked at their peak shipped overnight to ensure the freshness it's 29.99 amazing offer it ends today
5: my uh, mom listens to the show if i just say i'm thinking about her is that enough
1: uh nope nope okay Ask your mom. I'm sure she'll say, "Oh, honey, I don't need anything except your love." Liar. <laughs> Liar. 1800flowers.com. 1800flowers.com. Click on the radio icon and enter the promo code back to get this deal of 29.99 for two dozen roses. It's 800flowers. 1800flowers.com. Promo code back 1800flowers.com. Offer ends today. You know, when you hear this story, when you hear the story that's happening in Dallas, it's 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 really truly unbelievable. We'll share it coming up here in just a second. Also, be joined by First Liberty Institute. These guys are they're remarkable what they do. Um. Okay, Stu. Uh, what what else do we have that we have to we have to get to today? We have an unbelievable third hour. Uh, have you read this yet, Stu? Uh, the world, uh, without mind. The existential threat of big tech. Dig uh, big tech. I,
5: I read a piece uh, by about this. Yes, I have not so read the book good. yet, though.
1: really good. Yeah this this guy Scary. is he he's really frightening. He's talking about now deep fakes, and deep fakes are something that we've been talking about for maybe five years, and saying you know you're not going to be able to believe your eyes um, because it's going the, the, the AI will be so good at imitating you, and they'll be able to make. You do anything. You won't be able to believe your ears. You won't be able to believe your eyes. And he says, fake news, just the beginning. In the next five years, you won't believe anything. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to humanity? It's a deeper conversation that we must have. We can talk about all the problems that are happening now, but the problems just caused by tech that are just over the horizon are crippling if we don't deal with them now.
5: It's true, and and uh, this builds nicely off of what we saw from Google yesterday, where they are now. Your the new Google
1: assistant will make phone calls to reserve restaurants for you, and you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. You cannot tell the difference, tell the difference between a human and uh, and the Google assistant. And it's great. It's really, really great. But with that come Heavy, heavy prices to pay in our freedom and in our privacy. Glenn Beck. So I want you to imagine that you're living in a in a neighborhood and and you walk to church uh, every you know every Sunday and and you've you've moved there because the church is great and, and you want to walk to church. And then somebody in the neighborhood moves in after about a decade and doesn't like that and wants to change all the rules and wants your church to shut down and starts using all of these, um, you know, all of these little petty things to irritate, to frustrate and to get you to move. After a while, you might just say, you know what, let's just go. Especially if your church was in a house and it wasn't a big you know, edifice that cost you a lot of money to build. But now let me let me change one variable. You belong to a church that requires you to walk on Sundays, so you can't live very far from the church and you and all of your other congregants. You moved into that neighborhood because the church was there. So you paid the price. You may have passed on a house that you really wanted someplace else, but you couldn't have it because you couldn't walk to church. So now all of you, if the church goes out, you all have to move. You all have to change schools with your kids. You have to change your entire life. Just because one guy says, I don't want you in my neighborhood. Now, how would you feel? If the thing he was complaining about was you didn't have a parking variance for your Sabbath. Remember, no one in the congregation can drive. So there are no cars being parked on the Sabbath. Would you begin to say, I think something's wrong here. That is the story that is happening here in Dallas, as I understand it. And it's not a church. It's a, it's a synagogue. It's a, it's a Jewish place of, of worship. And the people had been, had been going to synagogue on Saturday. It never caused a problem until one guy moved in. And now they're on the ropes. We have Jeremy. Uh, we have Jeremy Dice. He is the deputy general counsel of uh, First Liberty Institute. Chelsea Yeoman. She is counsel on this particular case, and Rabbi Yaakov Rich, who is um, the rabbi of the congregation and now a client, unfortunately, of First Liberty Institute. Do I have the general story right? Is that kind of what's happening here? That's
0: exactly what's happening. Um, Our clients are so tenacious, and they have been dealing with obstacle after obstacle now for the last few years um, at the hands of these neighbors that you mentioned and Mm -hmm. at the hands of an HOA um, they're now in their third lawsuit and all they want to do is live out faithfully be able to walk on the Sabbath to their to their small synagogue that meets in a small home in their neighborhood Um, which
1: is totally fine with 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 all zoning in texas i mean right you can have a church or a synagogue or anything in your house and that's
0: that's right it's actually illegal for a city to say a church can't meet in a zone in texas i mean think about it It, our churches could be excluded from any jurisdiction if zoning laws were enforced in this way right
1: and there is no problem with this i want you to take me down the road and, and maybe rabbi i don't know who would be best to tell this story but You were fine and the HOA was fine until this guy moves into the neighborhood long after you guys have been there. And he complains to the HOA and the HOA says, we have no problem. And then he starts a campaign to smear the HOA and get people to move away. Some of them get some of them so crazy that they just had to move away. And others, he he put people on the HOA. S- specifically it seems to come after you guys
6: correct eventually he became the president of the HOA it was a it was a personal lawsuit from him then he joined the HOA became the president got board members to join uh, people to join the board pardon me and it became a lawsuit from the HOA against the synagogue and we were very isolated because we are members of the HOA in that community and the HOA was coming after us Um, but the hoa before you hadn't changed anything before
0: he got there
1: nothing the hoa was fine in fact the head of the hoa said to him when he first complained she said no you don't understand no this is fine this is all fine
6: let's just learn to live together yeah let's let's be neighborly let's be neighbors and we're walking to the synagogue and it's actually quite nice and uh, once the lawsuit came tremendous anxiety on the part of the membership of the synagogue. We're talking about 25 families maximum. It's all the people who live within walking distance, and everybody's nervous. We have to sell our house. We have to go look somewhere. Like you explained so beautifully and eloquently at the beginning, you're literally going to have to disrupt your entire life. Entire life.
1: Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, first of all, when he moved in, he cl- he claims this is hurting his his resale value of his house, Right. But is his house up for sale? And did it, was his house property, was it affected in home prices when he bought it? Because but, you guys have been doing it for 10 years before.
4: <laughs> well, I think that's the excuse that every HOA complainant right. usually has. This is going to hurt my, my, my home values. This is the perfect confluence of government bureaucracy overrun everybody's favorite neighbor, the HOA, uh, and, and the, the rights of religious liberty here and the free exercise of that on certain property. And as Chelsea pointed out, they have a right to be able to be there as a matter of right under the city ordinance here. What we're quibbling over right now after many rounds of discussions with the city of Dallas is over six parking spaces for goodness sake for a, for a, a congregation that doesn't drive on the Sabbath. You would think that that would be a simple solution here to allow people to go there. But, you know, I think underlying all this is exactly what you pointed out. There is a, a a desire to push back on this specific group of religious exercise uh, as uh, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but remember Rabbi Rich had his car vandalized with the spray painting of a swastika on it. I didn't know that. They've had to they've had to get a grant from the federal government to maintain better security at their their place of worship because of the threats that have come in here. But that's exactly what happens when we don't allow people to have the freedom to peacefully exercise their religious beliefs, and that's why First Liberty's been involved in this case from the beginning. I'm sorry, Rabbi, that.
1: Somebody did that to you, and I'm sorry for all of your congregants that uh, no longer feel that they are safe in their own neighborhood.
6: Yeah, pretty disconcerting. And we had the mezuzah, which is the parchment that we put on the doorway, ripped off, and it was thrown about 20 feet in front of the door on the sidewalk in front. So, I mean, these things happened all around the same time when the lawsuit was coming, and uh, it, uh, it was very, very difficult as a rabbi of a congregation. People were... The fear and the anxiety and the isolation was a t- tremendous, difficult thing to deal with. So what is the solution
1: here? I mean, are we down to because the, 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 the HOA keeps saying, if I'm not mistaken, you got to do this and then you do it. And then you got to do this and then you do it. You got to do this and then you do it. And there's this a never ending laundry list. Is that accurate? That's,
0: that's accurate. We actually won the lawsuit against the HOA, and then they punted the ball to the city of Dallas. And so that's where we are now in a separate lawsuit with the city of Dallas, who, as you mentioned, just continued to issue this laundry list, item after item after item for the congregation to do. And because because my clients want to be good neighbors and they want to resolve this amicably, they've met every single requirement on that list. Um, over years now, they have done every single thing the city required and ironically, the last thing the city asked of them was to get a parking variance. And so even though, as we mentioned, they, they walk on the Sabbath, um, and it's an equivalent of six spots that they're looking for, we w- still went, we still applied at the city's request to get the variance and were ultimately denied. So that's where first...
1: So wait, <laughs> so the city says you have to get one and then the city won't give them one.
0: That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. So it's, it's bureaucracy at its best. But
1: <laughs> And why won't they give you the variance?
0: Well, they really just listened to the HOA. The HOA showed up. They took off work four days to come to all of these hearings to testify person after person against our congregation and say, we like religious liberty, but we don't want a synagogue here. And I think that's the message we want every, every listener and every viewer to understand is um, really your Bible study could be next. Your church could be next if a neighborhood decides that they just like religious liberty, but not really your religious liberty. I think it's,
1: if I may, I think it is worse for Jews than my Bible study. Because I can choose to have my Bible study at somebody else's house. Okay, So it's a lot easier. But Rabbi, if I'm I'm not mistaken, sorry for butchering this, but there has to be, for you to actually have a congregation don't you have to have i don't remember what it's called a wire that runs around an a roof okay right yes so
6: you've had that for how long well we've had that for it, it's been in the neighborhood around 20 years okay. it was created originally by a different congregation so but we need that in order just to carry just to mothers to go with strollers with their right. children to the synagogue
1: okay this is part of this is part of you know the torah and it is it's the boundaries of the synagogue that's correct, and, and so that just that alone, the maintenance on that is every week, is it not correct so there's no way that this 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 is not like, hey, I just started a Bible study. This has been something that everyone is aware of if you live in a Jewish community, you know you live in a Jewish community, most likely because you see a lot of people walking on Friday nights and
4: Saturdays. Yeah, and don't forget the inequality that's going on here. If Outside of the city of Dallas, this doesn't make as much sense, but if you drive through Dallas, it seems like everybody parks out front of their house. Nobody uses their driveway or their garage in the city of Dallas. They park outside their house. So really wouldn't know if this is a game night that's taking place or is this just uh, you know the Oprah Book of the Month club that happens to be meeting this week. It really is no different than all of those things. But because these individuals are 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 somewhat visually obviously going to a place of worship here, they've been specifically targeted here, right? And that that's where the clear discrimination has come out here. They're not targeting the Oprah Book of the Month Club; they're targeting people who are 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 walking to go and have their prayers. I will tell you, um,
1: there is a Jewish community here that is right by our uh, my faiths. Temple, we have a temple, and they're they're very to us. They're very sacred. They're, I mean, that we sift the dirt like ten feet from the topsoil to take out any imperfections in the. You know, make sure there's no bottle caps, and we take it seriously. And uh, it's sacred ground. When my faith found out that there was a synagogue on the other side, which they knew, but they had never heard that they. That the community, the religious community says there's a Mormon tax because on one side of the temple, the houses are cheaper than the other side Mm. because it takes the property is so huge that it takes, I think it's an extra three quarters of a mile walk. So people want to live on the other side. My faith is putting a gate, which I have never, ever seen. I think it's the first time in our history that we're putting a gate on our fence so the religious people uh, uh the uh, religious community can walk across our property to get and not be and not have to worry about well, i have to pay more to live on this side because of this property blocking the way incredible i want you to know that there are there are millions of christians who are not like this neighbor and this hoa and we are not living in the 1930s and the 1940s anymore and there are millions of christians of of all kinds of faith that feel that way what's happening here is wrong what is happening here is sheer bigotry it is clear sheer bigotry
4: so how can we help Oh, i like to say this is the only case we have going on and that this is the only situation, but we represent other synagogues throughout the country. We represent other churches and other religious bodies throughout the country all over the United States that are fearing the same issue here. In fact, we, we're looking into a situation right now where they describe themselves as an underground synagogue for fear of the local community rising against them on these issues. Uh, but I would encourage folks to go to firstliberty.org. Let us figure out how we can help you. If you've got a situation, if it's your Bible study, if it's your Sabbath worship, whatever it might be, if you're having an issue with religious land use, let us work with you. Let us evaluate that situation. For those of you that aren't facing that issue, I want you to understand we provide legal services to to Rabbi Rich and others pro bono. It's for free. He'll never get a, a, a bill from us. And the good news is, we usually win our cases at First Liberty. So if, if you're able to, if you need help, go to firstliberty.org, let us help you out. But if you can help out this issue as well, help us provide these legal services, go to firstliberty.org and invest in these types of issues. How, how, what's
1: the next turn in this case?
0: Well, we filed our appeal of the city's denial, um, and we're really, really just hoping for, as I mentioned, an amicable resolution that allows our congregants to pray where they, they live and to live where they pray. That's what we want to happen.
1: You're not alone. You're not alone, Rabbi. And it won't stand. It won't stand. God is a God of miracles, and it won't stand.
6: Thank you. Thank you for your support and for getting our message out. We appreciate it. Anything we
1: can do, you let us know. And anything we can do, First Liberty, you let us know. Um, And please keep us up to date on this story. Will do. Thank you. Thank you. You can read all about it at theblaze.com. For a while now, we've been talking about Bitcoin, uh, and I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. I was told by uh, I was told by the people that started what is the wallet that you use Coinbase. Uh, Coinbase. Yeah. Uh, I was told when they just started Coinbase, you should invest in Bitcoin. I didn't know anything at all about it. I probably could have gotten it at about thirty dollars and didn't <laughs> uh, until it was about a thousand dollars because I didn't know, and I don't like to invest in things I don't understand. So. Stu and I, we set out to try to figure all of these things out, and he's pretty good, and I'm pretty good over the years, but we needed an expert to teach us, and we've asked them to come up with something that will help teach you the ins and outs of of uh, uh, cryptocurrency, and the guy who's running it is a former hedge fund guy from Wall Street, his name is Tika Tawari, he, he writes the uh, Palm Beach letter. Right now, you can get this crypto master course so you know exactly what it is, why it's important, what the risks are, how to invest, how how to sell. I mean, it's really complex, but not once you understand it. Take the course now. SmartCryptoCourse.com. That's SmartCryptoCourse.com. Glenn Beck. I mean, what's tr- truly remarkable about that story is... This congregation, this is not like a new neighborhood. This is a this is a neighborhood that has had a congregation of Jewish people for twenty years. The the I, I'm sorry, I don't remember what it's called again. He just said what was it? The aerial? It's an aerial wire that goes around. Right. Uh, I
5: had never heard of that before. I, I pride myself in having almost no cultural knowledge whatsoever.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Eruv? Is that E R U V? Maybe. Um, and it's a it's a wire that goes all the way around the the district, if you will, of the synagogue. OK, and so you have to stay within that wire. It's how many steps you can take. You know, it's all Torah stuff, all mm-hmm. Old Testament. And so it it is a, a defining wire. And it, it also has other uh, things to it. I don't know. Uh, uh, please forgive me if you're Jewish, um, but it, uh But it's really important. In fact, the rabbi has to walk it every week, like Thursday. And if it is broken, the city, at least in New York, the city had to come up and repair it. So they would walk every Thursday and it has to be repaired before the Sabbath. So it's a really big deal. And that's not something like, hey, we're just moving in and just going to have a Bible study. No, no, this is completely different. This is completely different. I don't know why the Bible
5: study person keeps sounding so crazy when you imitate him, but... uh <laughs> 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 die <at> Bible study! <laughs> like, why does he sound like that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh,
1: but I mean, it's just because it's... <laughs> Because it's just anybody could do right. that. Anybody You know that, what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and you and, can move it if you need to. Right. I mean, if I was having a Bible study, we could go over to Pat's house or we could go over to your house sure. and we can drive. That's not the same with a Torah study. Another question that popped into my head
5: as we're listening to this is why on earth would you want to live in a community if you felt this way about the people in it? You move into a Jewish community and you just harass them for, for years? Like what What is that grand- And let me ask you,
1: what's easier for that one guy to move? Or for twenty five families to move. Yeah, and, and why, did he move
5: into, why, why did he move there in the first place? I don't know. This has been there for a long time. Yeah. Why move he into didn't, that community? Probably
1: because he didn't know. How would you not know? You've got a well, wire around an entire No, community. you don't really notice those things unless you know. You don't notice. I right. mean, it's a big deal. Seems incredibly unlikely. You that, didn't that look that at the house on a Friday and Saturday and saw a bunch of Orthodox. The real Jews estate walking. agent doesn't know about the. I mean, but what are the odds do. of it? I mean, it's yeah like I don't know it seems like it's just a harassment it's, issue. it is a harassment and it seems like an anti-semitic harassment and it's got to stop so I don't know about anybody else but I had a hard time with the uh, confirmation hearings didn't even watch them yesterday honestly I mean, we are we are really becoming like I don't care anymore but um, this one is this one's really important. First of all, uh, Haspel is being uh, confirmed now for the uh, director role of the CIA. Let me tell you something. Looks can be deceiving. What, do I mean, she's the director of the CIA. She looks like, I don't know, everybody's mom or grandma. She totally reminds me of my grandmother, yeah. my mom's mom. I mean, she's just like, oh, come on. I just made you a pie. And I'm also the director of the CIA. (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) Looks are deceiving here Mm -hmm. a little bit. And quite honestly, if she's ever done any operations on her, if she was ever an agent, that says to me that everything you've ever heard that like the Tom Cruise of the world, you know, never are hired by the CIA. Everyone always says, no, the CIA, you'll never see them they're they're so plain Jane and normal that they just blend in. You would never hire a really good looking CIA agent. Well, and she was at least not that r- she's not a I mean, you know what I mean not a not a model. Oh, not a, we
5: knew what you meant there—a critique
1: <sighs> of someone's
5: was, appearance because she was white. No, it's because uh, she was. The talk was that she was the subject, or at least a partial inspiration for Zero Dark Thirty. You remember that movie that came out a few years ago, which was awesome movie awesome but it was Jessica. wasn't it jessica chastain in that i don't remember i don't think i saw that one so good i mean it's such a good movie but um it shows it was it was the movie that a lot of people were talking about at the time because it showed how much information they actually got out of the interrogations and how effective they were which you know is true Uh, you know a lot of people like to say it's not i understand there's people you know like john mccain for example Who's in the middle, you know, he's in the middle of a real struggle and he comes out and he's, he's still talking about how he, you know, he's against torture and all those things. And it's, I understand it. And he has a real point of uh, evidence has to have a real strong opinion, point yeah, right? Of reference. reference to have an incredibly strong opinion and no mm-hmm. one would hold, you know, would, yep, would hold yep. it back. But, you know, the truth is that it, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it does work. And in this particular circumstance, it wasn't torture. Um, in my opinion so uh, but the movie is fantastic I don't know that Jessica Chastain and Gina Haspel really have that much in common in several ways right is what I would say okay. age okay.
1: for example right they don't seem to be she does not seem to be oh, so you're an ageist okay I am we agent. understand mm-hmm. okay so here she is now she's she is being questioned by the people who were let's be honest fine about all of this right after 9-11 yep And I remember saying to the CIA on the air, if you're a CIA person, if you're a military person, you're asked to do this, make sure that the Senate and Congress are on record because they're going to turn around and blame you. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they've done. Okay, so here she is correcting uh, Feinstein.
2: In his memoir, former CIA Consul General John Rizzo described how, in 2005, Jose Rodriguez was promoted to be deputy CIA director for operations and installed as his chief of staff an officer from the counterterrorist center who had previously run the interrogation program. Is that you? Senator, I'm so pleased you asked me that question. Um, Yes or no will do. so, no. And and for the record, if you if you have your staff checked, Mr. Rizzo has issued a correction. Um, it is it is true that it is hard for in a me, secret my understanding that is, is not he accurate recently confirmed that it was you. <laughs> no, he issued a correction.
1: Hmm.
5: And she does seem to be right on that, by the way. There was a correction issued uh, many news sources. There's been a couple that have tried to hang by their reporting uh, mm-hmm. against all evidence uh but uh it does appear that she did not oversee uh that
1: those events i'm just having a hard time seeing her you know be like "Hmm. you know what i'm busy i'm busy right now i'm getting the kids off to school and stuff but rip his fingernails out I mean, I just, I'm having. There a, are biscuits in the oven. Yeah. And when we're done with that, we'll do the waterboarding. I mean, I'm just having a hard time seeing her that way, but maybe that's just me. But again, I, you know, a lot of this comes
5: down to a moment in time, right? And, you know, at the time, something that we do in training for our military mm-hmm. would never have been considered
1: torture when it comes to a terrorist right around September 11th. No. And again, we do it to our own troops. So if we do it to our own troops, why isn't anybody up in arms that we that our military is torturing our own military? You ever heard someone on the left come out and say we need to stop this on our troops? Never. Never? Never.
5: I've never I've literally never heard it once. Nope. I'm sure somebody's done it at some point, mm-hmm. but I mean, I I've never heard lengthy pleas about how important it is that we stop waterboarding our troops during training. If it's torture, of course, you would want that to stop immediately. Yep, but it's because they know it's not, right? They know it's incredibly unpleasant. They know that it's incredibly effective. Uh, they know that they can win political points by calling it torture.
1: Those are the three things they know. So here, here she is um, answering a question, taking Rhode Island uh, De- uh, Democrat Senator Jack Reed. Uh, to task. Listen to this.
6: You have an operations officer who is captured. He's being waterboarded. I've asked you very simply, would you determine that to be immoral and something that should never be done, condoned in any way, shape or form? Your response seems to be that civilized nations don't do it but uncivilized nations do it or uncivilized groups do it. The United States does. it. A civilized nation was doing it until it was outlawed by this Congress.
2: Senator, I would never uh, obviously support inhumane treatment of any CIA officers. We've lost CIA officers over the years to terrorists. I just gave an example. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed personally killed a Wall Street Journal correspondent and filmed that. I don't think there's any comparison between CIA officers serving their country, adhering to U.S. law, and terrorists who, by their very definition, are not following anybody's
1: law. But to Mm -hmm. the people in Congress, not so much. Even though we told you this was going to happen uh, and we warned the CIA operatives, they're a weasel. The minute they change their mind, the minute you've done. I mean, I mean, how many episodes of Jack Bauer do you need to watch before you figure out that the weasels in Washington are going to pin it on you? You know what I mean? It happens in every single movie. They they get what they want. And then they pin everything they told you to do on you. When the real culprit is a
5: Nazi businessman
1: who's yes. manipulating innocent for Muslims oil. into terrorism for oil. For oil, jeez. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me let me give one more. Now here's a, a CNN contributor. His name is Phil Mud. He was with the CIA. Don't usually agree with Phil Mudd, but I do this time. Listen to this.
6: I was among the CIA officers 15 years ago who spoke with the Congress in detail about the techniques we used. They told us this was not tortured, that it complied with the Constitution, and that it complied with U.S. law. You can vote against Gina Haspel, but don't give me the collective amnesia about how it's on CIA. I want to talk to the senators who told us that they represented American values, and conveniently in 2002 and 2003, this represented American values. Now that we don't face the same threat and that we have different senators, it's okay to attack one of my former colleagues. I am pissed off. This is collective amnesia. We didn't do it. America did it. Get over it.
1: Hmm. Totally right. you going to be a CIA agent if you think that the government can turn on you and say, wait a minute, what you did, which was law and which was fine at the time, uh, we're now going to destroy you? No way. It's the only positive about
5: not having term limits is that s- many of these senators were eaten. I mean, they were actually did meetings on the on oh, the yeah. Civil War, let oh, yeah. alone <laughs> the, the the Gulf War, yeah, uh, and uh, and the and the war in Iraq, and and because of that, I mean, you know, people like Feinstein
1: were around for those briefings. Yeah. They were there. They knew these things happened, and they're just lying to you now. When Feinstein says she remembers the Cold War, she's most likely talking about the Revolutionary War when
7: they had to burn firewood. So cold. It was Cold
5: War. I just remember it being very cold. Crossing that river in the winter? Are you kidding me? I said I'm not getting into the boat.
1: All right. Let me tell you about uh, uh, Goldline. The volatility in the world. Can you... Think of a time, Stu, that is more, I mean, up in the air right now where you really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in, in, as far as the globe. Yeah, I mean, geez, the Middle East is... Uh, and, and the good thing is there is... Maybe
5: it comes out okay on the other end, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that, we really don't know. Right? We have no idea. That's but... why we're sending people into the Middle East for our reporters. Oh, <laughs> Please hey, pray guys, for them. You guys be there. L- just look for things falling on you. If there's something that looks very
1: bright and is coming towards you, go the other direction. <laughs> right. Uh, Who we'll look at the pretty falling star run? run. Anyway, um, things are, you know, all up in the air yesterday. It could be the beginning of a war between Israel and uh, Iran. And that is the next war, whether it started or that last night or not. I don't know. Next week. My gosh, we're opening the embassy there in Jerusalem. What, what, what could happen there? How about North Korea? Even if things stay stable and the economy continues to grow, inflation is going to grow as well because we're starting to spend the money. And that's when inflation happens. And so our interest rates, like Venezuela announced Friday, 40% interest rate. Now, when interest rate or inflations, inflation kicks in, gold always goes up may i suggest gold is not an all-in kind of thing gold is a hedge so when other things start to go wrong gold goes up that's the way it works something that's how people get rich honestly something goes down and they've put money over here and they may have lost money but this goes up and so they keep money it's it's hedge it's a hedge a hedge against inflation is gold line and if you want to see what inflation is, l- l- call Goldline and they'll send, they'll send you I think it's a 10 billion dollar bill. Uh, it's the new 10 billion dollar bill from uh, from Zimbabwe yeah which is fantastic. really cool. So you're a 10 billionaire in Zimbabwean cash gold call them today. read the important risk information and find out if it's right for you at 866 goldline1866 goldline or goldline.com Glenn
0: Beck.
1: Sarah can we play um uh, the the Google announcement yesterday or day before yesterday uh where they they talked about the new Google assistant and how good it's going to be uh and and I want to play the one if we can uh with the Chinese restaurant I mean here's you know what it's like talking to Siri it's it's you know it's like talking to a computer you, you they it understands half of what you're saying um but technology has grown a great deal and we are helping it with Google home and, and all of these things. It's learning how to communicate. Listen to how now the new Google assistant can navigate language so well. It's calling this Chinese restaurant, trying to make uh, an appointment or a, or a reservation for, for four people a week from Wednesday. And the, the one trying to get the reservation is the computer. The listen. guy. the, yeah, the guy voice. is the computer, listen. Mm-hmm.
6: Let's say you want to call a restaurant, but maybe it's a small restaurant which is not easily available to book online. The call actually goes a bit differently than expected. So take a listen.
2: See how I hear you?
3: Hi, um, I'd like to reserve a table for Wednesday
5: the 7th.
2: For seven people?
5: Um, it's for four people.
2: Four people when?
5: Um, next, next night? Wednesday at 6 p.m.
2: Oh, actually we leave here for like, after like five people. For Four people, you can come.
5: How long is the wait usually to uh, be seated?
2: For when tomorrow or weekday or?
5: For next Wednesday. Uh, the 7th.
2: Oh, no, it's not
5: too busy. You, you, you can call four people, okay? Oh, I got gotcha. you.
1: Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Unbelievable. It's like improving. Unbelievable. So this is all good. They also announced that soon Google's going to be able to write emails for you in your voice.
5: I mean, imagine the scandals. You'll have, you know, because like the Anthony Weiner excuse when he was starting texted you know, yeah. pictures to nine-year-olds. Uh, was like, oh, I got hacked. That's kind of a standard excuse. Now, of course, hacking is real, and sometimes you could theoretically be hacked, but it's usually just an excuse. The same thing is going to apply here. Oh, Google wrote
1: that, even. I didn't even write it. Do you remember eight months ago, um, I had William Hurtling on. He's an author. I read about five of his books all (laughs) all in like a a week, (laughs) a week and a half. Um, I think it was the Avogadro Corp uh, was the name of his book that, it's start it's the first in the series and it starts with ai writing email and what links it will go to 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 accomplish its goals which are your goals or in his case the inventor's goal um it has access to everything for it to learn and write in your voice and know what is what you want. It has to read everything. It has to read all of your email, has to listen to your conversations, has to uh, read your Facebook, your interactions with people on Facebook. I mean, it is you, you want to talk about no privacy. This would be it. We say, well, I don't want Google's Google reading my email? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now they're going to openly admit it when they say, oh, by the way, they can write emails for you. But it's got to read all of your email. It's reading it. It's understanding it. It's understanding the person on the other end. It's all connected. I mean, it is a brave new world that is coming our way. We have Franklin Foyer on um he is a guy who wrote a really pretty bone chilling article about deep fakes and how you're not going to have real privacy and you're not really going to be able to believe your eyes at all on anything very, very soon. Name of his book is World Without Mind The Existential Threat to Big Tech. He joins us to talk Glenn, about this next.
3: Glenn Beck. Glenn
1: Beck. In the high tech world of espionage, sometimes the best way to steal information may still be the old school spy craft, like, you know, talking to humans and writing things down on paper. Of course, it's also the old school way of getting caught. And that is exactly what happened to former CIA agent Jerry Chung Shin Lee it hadn't been easy to catch him. He's a 53 year old guy. He was a naturalized U.S. citizen, joined the CIA in 1994. He left in 2007 And his main job for the CIA was recruiting clandestine human intelligence sources from his base in Hong Kong. Now, Lee is suspected of giving the Chinese information that caused the death or imprisonment of 20 American agents in China. Starting in 2010, the CIA began to notice that all of our agents started to just disappear in China. The CIA suspected that there was a traitor, and so they asked the FBI to investigate. Two years later, the FBI suspected Lee, so they lured him with a phony job offer to get him to fly to the U.S. from his home in Hong Kong. During the trip, they searched his hotel rooms in Hawaii and Virginia, and they found two notebooks containing handwritten lists of names and phone numbers of the covert CIA agents and informants in China. The notebooks also had notes from asset meetings, meeting locations and locations of covert facilities in China. So they went to work and they built their case. Took several years. The FBI finally got their chance to arrest Lee in January when he took a commercial flight from Hong Kong to New York City. And yesterday, a federal grand jury charged him with illegally possessing classified information. Prosecutors say Chinese agents offered Lee a gift of $100,000 in exchange for his cooperation and a promise that they would take care of him for life. All they wanted were the names of people that worked for the CIA. Imagine giving up 20 lives for $100,000. Prosecutors say Lee prepared written reports for the Chinese, deposited hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in his personal accounts, and lied to the FBI about his activities overseas. This is a devastating betrayal uh, for our CIA and our intelligence agencies. Foremost because of the executed agents, but also because the massive amounts of time it takes to groom new sources and informants. This is not something that the United States is going to recover from uh, quickly. If it is confirmed that Lee's information was the cause of the death and imprisonment of 20 agents in China, it will be the worst intelligence brief uh, breach since um, Robert Hansen. Do you remember him? He was caught passing secrets to Russia in the 1990s. And do you remember what a big deal that was? Now? Has anybody even heard of this guy? So far, Lee has only been charged with possessing classified information, but he still could get life if he's convicted. Here's what you need to know today. Make no mistake about it, we are deep into some sort of a new war. And perhaps it's a Cold War with China. But this time, China has eclipsed Russia as our chief rival in that Cold War.
0: It's Thursday, May 10th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
1: So on this program, we've been talking about technology uh, quite a bit over the last few years, the good things and the bad things, the good things that are coming our way, the profound opportunities that are coming our way because of technology, The problems that that technology may cause, for instance, you know, jobs. We're looking at the job numbers upside down. People who are working on AI and robotics are looking at how can we have 100 percent unemployment so everybody can enjoy their lives? Well, with that comes some ethical questions and some philosophical questions and and the question of how do we navigate that transition? There's also privacy concerns and concerns about what's real and what's not way beyond fake news. There's a new book out um, called World Without Mind. It was written by Franklin uh, Foyer, and he wrote an article that caught my eye a few weeks ago in The Atlantic. The era of fake news begins. And we wanted to have a conversation with him. Uh, Franklin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So, Franklin, we, we talked about deep fakes, um, I think, before anybody, and at least our audience, had really even heard of them. And at the mm-hmm. time, I remember talking to people, even on my own staff, I said, Glenn, this is so far away. And it's really not. We're, you know, I kept saying to them, I think in the, you know, 2018, 2020, definitely 2024, this is going to be a very big problem.
3: It, it's happening now. And it's just happening in the dark corners of the internet and um, largely in the field of pornography, where so much of the internet actually begins before it migrates to the mainstream. And it's this, it's this phenomenon where the average person now has access to technology that allows them to take a head, a picture of someone's face and very seamlessly uh, transpose it to a body. And so, you're creating these uh, manipulated images, which to the naked eye are very hard to detect as fakes. And so we just know that um, that a technology like this is not going to stay bottled up. It's going to be exploited by bad people for bad ends. And the fact that it's so democratized and so accessible to every every creep, <laughs> everybody who's got an ex who's out for revenge um to co-workers i mean it really is a dystopian world which we stand on the cusp of
1: so you know you can't put the genie back in the bottle and i and and i am i am really truly excited about the world of tomorrow but i am i'm split franklin between if we don't do it right, if we are not paying attention every step of the way, and we don't have some sort of, of uh, uh, I don't know, self-control, yes. uh, which we don't ex- display in anything that we do, we could become slaves to this really quickly.
3: Well, I mean, I think we, every everyone experiences that sense of both possibility and enslavement when it comes to that device that we're all attached to now, which is our phone, that we're, we're addicted to our phones, we're constantly manipulated by our phones, which uh, are being used by corporations and by media to, to try to commandeer our attention on you know an hourly basis. We're always being dinged and pinged. Um, and yet, um, we know that our phones offer us uh, great possibilities that make our lives better, more efficient in all sorts of ways. And you raise this question of moderation. And I do think that that kind of gets to the core challenge to each and every one of us, which is that when it comes to things like food and drink, which are also addictive, right? Like mm-hmm. if you stuck a ba- bag of, of, of uh, Doritos in front of uh, most human beings, they'd be tempted to polish it off or... Um, uh, and yet we still manage to teach our kids how to practice moderation when it comes to those effective things. We know how to enjoy food without, but we
1: yeah, but we've had millions of years to come to that and yeah, we've had yeah, a shortage yeah. of food. This is yeah. for instance, the Google assistant that was announced earlier this week, that is going to be just, that is revolutionary in good Um, In so many ways. But if you look at what they're talking about on on being able to have it now write all of your emails. Well, the logical thing is we're right now saying I don't want Google reading my mail. Well, Google's Mm -hmm. going to be reading your mail and your Facebook and it's
3: reading it now. Sorry. Yeah,
1: (laughs) but but it's going to read your Facebook. It's going to read everything about your friends, how you communicate. It's going to learn how to speak like you and write like you and interact with your friends that that now you're in a completely different world
3: yeah no i think that that is true and so um you know and i think what you're saying is that we're actually in this world now and and there's a way in which we can't stop it that a lot of these things that we worry about as distant possibilities are actually happening today that google's machines are reading your email now and they're using it to serve ads up to you um, that this complete dossier about you, this very intimate portrait of the inside of your head, has actually already been compiled by Facebook, by Google. I mean, people people are just uh, very blasé about data, but data is really an X-ray of your soul. That these these companies have amassed these portraits where they they know everything that you've read, everything that you've bought. It's integrated with data from the outside world, from the physical world about. You're shopping, you know, the CVS loyalty cards. And it's a very, very powerful uh, thing, this portrait. It can be manipulated really easily. And in fact, it is manipulated by the likes of Facebook, where Facebook, is, Facebook knows the things that gives you pleasure. They know the things that cause you an anxiety. And you know what? Your news feed is shaped so that the things that you were reading are given a hierarchy by Facebook based on those pleasure points and those anxieties because Facebook wants to keep you engaged on their site for as long as possible. And so that's a, you know, the, those technologies and that, that, that portrait of the inside of your head that comes from data is just, it leaves us tremendously vulnerable.
1: You brought something up in your book that um, was a new way of looking at this, uh, at least for me. I've never heard anybody else express it um, this way. Um, and, and, you know, it, nothing is for free <laughs> when Google yeah. says, I, here's here, the, here's this, it's free. Here's this free product. It's not free. Uh, in fact, it's not a product you are. And mm-hmm. th- the way these companies are now viewing us as a product, the information is really important. Can, can you go right. into the productization of people?
3: Right. So it's your attention, which uh, you, you're handing over to these companies. It's your personal information, which you inadvertently hand over to these companies. They then get marketed to advertisers. And, um, you know, everyone says, well, you know what? It's this great deal. You get Google's email for free. And sure, you're surrendering, surrendering your privacy um, in order to get that, that, that awesome service. But that's a price that you seem to be willing to pay. Um, but this question of consent, how much do we really understand about what we hand over to these companies when we click mm-hmm. accept on those terms of service agreements? Those terms of service agreements are legalistic and they're long. And I haven't met a single person who's ever read one of those. We just we just click accept because we 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 treat these companies as if they're acting in good faith. Um, we feel like we have to accept their services because um, you you need to be on Facebook in order to be a citizen of the world. Um, uh, sometimes your employer tells you you have to be on Facebook in order to um, be engaged in in business. Um, and so I think that we just need to, I mean, part of it is, yeah, it is on us. It is our own fault for not taking, uh, not taking the threats to our own privacy seriously. And it's, and it's on us for not thinking through these things in a more, um, in a more, in a more rigorous sort of way. But on the other hand, we're just left kind of unprotected and vulnerable. And these companies actually behave so much worse than we think that they do. I mean, all these companies are selling data to outside vendors. They're giving access to our data to outside vendors, and once it leaves the control of Facebook, who knows where it ends up, and who knows who's exploiting it.
1: And and when you talk about exploitation of this, I want to take you to another place. We can take a quick break and then come back. And I want I want Franklin to describe the exploitation. That is on the horizon on how easily you can be manipulated uh, and and especially with things like virtual reality. You're not going to realize they're playing you. You're not playing it. They're playing you when we come back. FEMA, not a first responder. That is what the uh, top administrator said in a speech recently from FEMA. We're not the first responder. So who is? When there is a problem, who is the first one to respond? Well, we're finally returning to this truth. You are. I am. We all are the first responders. So it doesn't matter what happened, you know, whether there's a problem in your local area, you know, your neighborhood, your house, uh, or there's, you know, floods, hurricanes, fires, mudslides, whatever it is, you're the first responder. My Patriot Supply has the top-rated food kit that millions of Americans have chosen to get prepared for, you know, a disaster that could happen in their area. Popular four-week emergency food supply right now this week is $99. It's a super low price for security. It's shipped free to your door, but you've got to call now. The number is 800 or you can go online to prepare with glenn.com that's prepare with last 25 years it's easy to store it's easy to grab and go no matter what the emergency is you are the first responder for your family call now be prepared 800-271-63 800-271-63 or preparewithglen.com Franklin 4 he is the um, he's a correspondent with the Atlantic and author of a book called World Without Mind Uh, He wrote an article called The Era of Fake News Begins. Uh, And, you know, we're complaining back and forth about, you know, uh, the right is saying fake news. The left is saying fake news. We're worried about algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. But we're about to enter a very different world. Um, And can we talk a little bit about uh, first, let's explain what a deep fake is and, and how that could be used to manipulate and then. I really want to go into virtual reality because that can change everything if we're being manipulated.
3: Right. Right. And so a deep fake is, it it is a technology that uses machine learning, which is a form of artificial intelligence in order to stitch together an image. So for instance, it's possible to create an uh, an image of uh, Barack Obama Talking, where uh, you're taking a catalog of, of 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 picture of of images of Barack Obama's face that you're able to then manipulate into a video where his lips are moving as if Barack Obama is uh, is 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 actually talking, um, yet it's really just a computer that's manipulating those images of his lips talking, and, and then. Um, And then there's the possibility that we can that that a voice can be manipulated by artificial intelligence to then say whatever we program it to say. And in fact, I recommend there's a pretty hilarious um, public service announcement uh, that's done by Jordan Peele, the comedian, where he does this with Barack Obama, where he, he he Barack Obama looks like he's delivering a sermon about the dangers of deep fakes. And, and, and in the middle of this uh, video clip, they then cut to the comedian Jordan Peele, and we see that he's actually impersonating Obama, and that Obama isn't saying the things that we think that he's saying. It's being said by this kind of uh, puppeteer um, who's uh, using Obama as a ventriloquist. And it, what, the dangers of that should be obvious, right?
1: Right. Well, and once you get the voice right, which just voice uh, duplication— the, the 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 ground that has been covered and how good it is from, you know, two years ago to today is remarkable. We're not far away from being able to recreate people's voices. But when you watch that video, the only thing that's off is the voice. Once you get the voice, you wouldn't you would swear that that was Barack Obama.
3: Right, exactly. And, and the nature of our machines is that. The more data we feed to them, the better that they get. Correct. That so they're constantly teaching themselves to improve. And so, um, just given the data that, that we're, it is, go back to the, the conversation before the break. When we give these companies, um, our data, every time we click on Facebook, every time we click on Google, every time you, um, you do all these little things on the internet, you're actually supplying the data that makes these machines better that makes it possible to get to this kind of new dystopian age that we're talking about.
1: How far away do you think we are from this new dystopian
3: age? Well, I think we're, in, we're, 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 kind of in it now. We're in, we're just in the earliest days right. and it's just hard to see a lot of the consequences when it comes to something like deep fakes and the, and, and rampant manipulation of video. I think we're still maybe, you know, two or three years away from it becoming something that populates people's social media feeds and actually has really impacts in our, yeah, in our politics and in our social lives. Um, But, you know, the question, the question that everybody always is asking is, you know, have we already left the age where is privacy over? Is there any, is there any chance that we can salvage, this distinction between a public life and a private life. Um, Can we,
1: can we, can we take a break here? Let's take a break here. And when we come back, I I want you to explain that. I also want to go into virtual reality a little bit on what is private anymore? Will you have privacy anymore? We'll wrap up our conversation uh, with uh, Franklin Four world without mind is the name of his book coming up. It's that time of year. The housing market
5: is getting active. People are venturing out of their homes now that it's not snowing on their heads all the time. And people like to use this time of year to go buy a new house. If you're thinking about selling yours, this is a great time to do it, but you got to do it the right way. You got to find somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody you can trust, somebody who has been in the business a long time, that has all the experience needed, knows how to do the advertising. is isn't just putting up a, a couple balloons out in front of your house and, and and then they're done. You need someone from realestateagentsitrust.com. realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go where you, when you want to search the thousands and thousands and thousands of real estate agents across the country and narrow it down to the best 1,200 or so. And honestly, for you, the best in your area. That's all you need to know. You need one real estate agent that knows what they're doing. realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. Make that experience a good one
1: realestateagentsitrust.com. The era of fake news. Franklin Four. He is a uh, uh, he's a writer. He has a, a book out called "The World Without Mind: The Exi- Existential Threat of Big Tech," uh, and uh, he is also uh, a correspondent for the Atlantic, where he wrote that article. The era of fake news begins. Um, we're just talking about. We we left the conversation with with privacy and and Franklin. People will say. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't mind if they have it. Um, However, everything is starting to be connected, and there is no end or beginning of your private life and your public life, and we are seeing not some dystopian movie, but we're actually seeing a government implement all of these dystopian ideas in China.
3: Yes, yes. Yes. And that's, I mean, there, there are two things that really concern me. The first is that, um, that over time, when we feel like somebody's always looking over our shoulder, we'll cease to be free thinking, independent people. That in order to formulate an opinion, in order to arrive at your own view of the world, um, you need to be guided by your conscience. And in order to do that, you need to be able to turn over ideas in your head. So if I'm going to explore an idea, I may go read people who I really disagree with in order to figure it out. I need to try on things. I need to I need to engage. I may engage with some odious people in in the course of formulating my opinion. I shouldn't be I shouldn't have to worry about that.
1: But we've already I, I mean without technology, we have already passed that. I mean, that's kind of this, you know, intellectual dark web thing that is so appealing to me is I uh, I we have to hear ideas. We have yeah. ideas are not dangerous, you know. Right. They they can be if they're implemented. But we need to hear all viewpoints and be allowed to say, "Wait a minute, I think that's a crazy idea." We have yeah. to have that.
3: Yeah. Well, and and it's I mean, it, but but we're really not in an in an especially bad place yet relative to where we could be. So right now, you can still. If you want to find somebody's book, you can find it on Amazon. You're not going to lose your job. You at least I don't think you should fear losing your job mm. because you go buy a book on Amazon or you go to check out a piece on Google or you listen to somebody's YouTube channel. But you can easily imagine that once that information becomes kind of more transparently available to everyone, then you actually will – that chilling effect will, will take place and you will be scared do something like that well, and I mean, one of the things that i mean the, I, the, I, the the
1: atlantic is the place that fired uh kevin uh williams uh i mean it williamson. W- williamson i mean that was pretty chilling he had an idea and said something and it was you know to to put a thought out there and it was I, you know not a thought i agree with but he lost his job good.
3: it was publicly available and it was it's more complicated than just uh it's an idea it had to do with the way that it was it was expressed in communications between the editor and writer, which is a question where there's trust involved. And so that's a, that's a, it's a different, a different question. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, we're not that far off yeah. from this universe. And in the China example, you just gave at the beginning, I find especially chilling. Very so much. this question of like, this question of how do we deal with these companies? How do we deal with this data? The idea that ultimately we could end up having a relationship brokered between big companies and the government, which is what what's happened plenty of times in our yep. past history. Like AT&T yep. was a monopoly that basically cut a deal with the government. And, uh, you know, Zuckerberg was asked by uh, one of the senators, um, you know, you're a monopoly. Uh, maybe we should just regulate you. And he said, you know what? The Internet needs to be regulated. Oh. And it was Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham said, well, can you submit can you submit a set of regulations that might work to us so we can consider <laughs> them? And, and just this idea that you could have this, uh, brokered relationship yeah. between these companies that control so much data that have so much manipulative power. And the government is something that I think that we actually need to be fearful of in the long run. And yes. so my, my, my approach, and I think this is an interesting place where, um, we're seeing ideology fracture and strange bedfellows start to come up. Is that we're starting to talk about monopoly again in this country? That you know, uh, liberals typically uh, fear private power, conservatives typically fear public power, um, but we're in this realm where you know our founders were worried about dangerous concentrations of power in all forms, and they were especially concerned about dangerous concentrations yep. of power when it came to areas of communication. So, um, and and
1: yeah, Go ahead and finish up.
3: Well, I just wanted to say one thing, which is that, you know, you, at the beginning, you made the point, which I agree with, which is that, you know, this technology is both empowering and it's dangerous. Uh, but I want, you know, there's something, you know, te- technology is something that's defined us as a human species. Our ability to affect the environment is something that kind of rises us above all the other species on this planet. And we've always used tools and technology, and, and they've automated, hammers automate part of uh, what we do with our, uh, with our bodies, factories, automated upper body strength. Uh, but these machines are different because they're intellectual technologies, they automate mental functions, and we're merging with them as a species that, you know, man and machine is, are becoming one. Sergey Brin, who's the, the co-founder of Google, yep. talks about the day when Google will be implanted in your brain. And I don't think that that's necessarily such a distant fantasy.
1: No, I think it's, what's, it's what Stephen Hawking referred to uh, as the end of Homo sapiens as we know it by 2050. He just means that we're going to integrate with technology. Franklin, I've, I've got to go, but I, I'd love to have you back to finish this conversation uh, another time. World Without Mind, the name of the book, Extential Threat of Big Tech. Thank you so much, Franklin. I appreciate
3: it. Thank you so much. You bet.
1: You know one of the things that we you know I, I disagree with him on the on the Atlantic uh point with with Kevin Williamson um but we are getting closer and closer to the the government taking control of everything look at what president uh Trump is talking about now i mean he's got it he just has a really great thing he just did with south korea and on the heels of that we're talking about uh you know, picking and choosing which reporters are going to be able to ask questions of the president—that's extraordinarily dangerous. Welcome back to the program, Pat Gray. Thank you. Yeah, he
7: he uh, tweeted out, "Fake news is working overtime." Just reported that, despite the tremendous success we're having with the economy and all things else, ninety-one percent of network news about me is negative, fake. Why do we work so hard in working with the media when it is corrupt? Takeaway credentials? Uh, no. 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 And, and by the way, negative doesn't necessarily mean fake. Uh, it, right. So no. So right. that's not necessarily the same thing. And I mean, he is right about the coverage, though, because the uh, Media Research Center just did a study of ABC, CBS, and uh, NBC. And the evening news, nine out of ten things that weren't uh, neutral were negative so about 91% which is incredible was, and unfair it is incredible
5: uh, you know i mean like mm-hmm. we've had such we've had a few good things today obviously the north korea mm-hmm. thing also five of the top <clears throat> isis leaders have been captured today another really good thing mm-hmm. i mean it, the, the split should certainly not be 91% now you know you can't fill a room of reporters that are all trump supporters and get
1: your news either no we didn't right? like it when they, they filled a room full of Obama supporters, because not because they were doing anything funky, just because everybody except the Fox News guy and Jake Tapper were in the bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Hey, how are you mm-hmm. enchanted? Mm-hmm. We, we can't have that. <laughs> mm-hmm. The press must be adversarial to power.
7: It has to be. And when even Matt Drudge is worried about it, I mean, Matt Drudge, is there anybody who's been more supportive of Donald Trump Steve Bannon. Drudge, maybe. Not even. I mean. (laughs)
5: Apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're right.
7: right. I mean, Uh, Trump never fired Drudge. Right. But Drudge said anyone, um, he said I I fear in the future uh, the result of Trump's crusade on fake news will be licensing of all reporters. Dems already floated this in the Senate pre-Trump. The mop up on this issue is going to be excruciating. And he also brought up what Trump might start now his successor could finish. Oh yeah, in a really bad way. Oh yeah, and we remember about I talked that a million times. Yes,
1: yes. I talked to I talked to Ted Koppel before Trump was in, and he said, you know, we need to have license. And I said, no, we don't. No, no, we don't. He said, we can't just have anybody. Yes, we can. Right. Yes, we can. It requires us as citizens to do our homework. And that's the thing. and we nobody have wants to do any work. Well, well, th- then fine. You're going to become a prisoner because mm-hmm. somebody is going to go down this road and we must be the side that says no i disagree with them i think they're dishonest but we're not we are not going to violate the first amendment and the free press you you have a right you know this this all came from uh, uh from pamphleteers You know, at the time, you didn't have radio, you didn't have television, you didn't have talk shows. You had people who were giving speeches, and they'd write those speeches down, and then they'd sell them on the street. And, well, they weren't licensed. That wasn't journalism. That's not in the paper. No, because those were the guys telling the truth. And that's why that is part of... They were the blog sites of the Revolutionary War. And they're the ones who changed it. You cannot... Start to license people to express a point of view or report news. And on the Cannot. other side,
7: because Democrats are trying to uh, do a preemptive strike. On the other side, they're trying to make laws that define the profession of journalism. That's also dangerous. Yes. You're going to screw this thing completely up. We already have everything we need in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the press. That's it. Period. There Sit. you go. You're already covered completely.
5: And we should look at that the same way, even with the press, even when they're annoying, the same way we look at gun rights. I mean, no law. They, they, right. they, there is not. You cannot abridge. You you can't you can't do anything that would limit these uh, limit the access, especially with the government. Now, you know, like you, you mentioned the Atlantic with with, with our guest, and it's true. Like, what I look at that is, no, that's that's distasteful, a completely different thing. Right? it's distasteful. It's mm-hmm. distasteful. What they did yeah, with that's Kevin... That's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that, yeah. wasn't, that, wasn't that wasn't the same thing. at all. Well, yeah, no, that that was well, a, actually, it was. There's it was a lot a of different things didn't there. Do it. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, it's not the same as what we're talking about here, though. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> the, yeah. the Atlantic right. can make what I view as a really a, a really bad decision if they want yeah, to. This They're a private business. This is the government doing it. And there is that line. That's a big one. I mean, you can't do those things. I mean, there's someone who was suing Donald Trump for blocking them on Twitter. And the, the, obviously, it's ridiculous, right? But yes. I mean, in reality, if the president of the United States is making statements, should not every c- a citizen have access to those statements? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. you can make a real argument that you really probably can't block people on Twitter, at least from the official accounts. Maybe he can from his private accounts, but from official government accounts, no, you, you probably can't. can't. You can't. Um, and and it, that's because it's the same way we argue with guns when people are like, well, well, they just took it away in a situation that was it was it was really obvious they shouldn't have had a gun. No, no that's not the way it works. No, even if you think it's obvious, mm-hmm. you got to have a real legal basis for those things.
7: Yeah, and we've completely lost sight of that.
1: We really have. And we have to be first, second, third, fourth. Well, all the way, all of them. Absolutists. We have to be absolutists on all the yeah. the Bill of Rights and the amendments, and on all of these issues. That's what we need to refer to
7: because that's where we have uh, that's our that's, that's our your, guiding light yeah. is the U.S.
1: Constitution and and it's the guiding light it's the only thing that will save us yeah. is the Constitution in the end if we don't stand firmly on that and tell everybody who says yeah but no I, I know I'm with you I'm frustrated but there is mm-hmm. no but here shall not be abridged period end of story good to have you back Pat one uh, quick follow up
5: question from Twitter. Uh, yeah. Is Pat still alive? This must be like game seven of a seven game series. He lives or dies on today's Pat's Unleash. <laughs> is that true? Yes. It's today, the day. Yes, we find today out. Today, the, the day. day. We find out. it could out. be Monday. Yeah. It, it, or it could be
7: Monday. It yeah. could. Or tomorrow. or tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Or tomorrow. It could
1: be today. Wow. Friday or this coming wow. Monday. Wow. Thank Fr- you for telling me yeah. this late in the game that it's not Friday. You're welcome. Because it means Dear God. Thank o- you for that. <laughs> the only way to be
5: really certain is to never miss a moment of Pat Gray. Thank you. That's, unleashed. that's exactly but, right. I'm it, not going I to. Could he keel could
1: over at any moment. He'd die. Yeah. yeah any time. Die at any time. Yeah. All right, Pat. Uh, do some jumping <laughs> jacks or whatever it is that makes you a little more vulnerable, uh, a little more on the edge. Good to have you back. All right. Let me tell you about uh, 1-800 Flowers. What are you getting your mom? <laughs> 1-800-Flowers, assuming I remember as
5: soon as we go to the next commercial yeah. to call.
1: I've got my mother-in-law coming in to stay with stay with us this weekend, too. Well, you know, the other thing about that is, mm-hmm. this is a
5: little tip for you. Mm-hmm. You call 1-800-Flowers. Mm-hmm. You get a nice uh, bouquet mm-hmm. sent to the house. Mm-hmm. But you get two cards. You get one, you put your wife's on there, and then you just swap it out because your, your mother-in-law's going to be there anyway. And you, when you say, oh, look, these flowers, and whenever they're in the
1: room, you just swap the card. I got a better idea. I get 24 multicolored roses, Mm -hmm. okay? So that's two dozen. Mm -hmm. I just split them in two vases. Ah. And I don't have to switch the cards. I'm like, hey, look at you guys, huh? Yeah, you're worthy. You both get a dozen roses. Uh Yeah. The other part about it is don't talk
5: about it on national radio before you do it. That's the only other... The only other
1: thing you don't want to do. That probably is where you should have started. Okay, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. 24 multicolored roses plus a free glass vase starting at twenty-nine ninety-nine. It ends today. Mother's Day is Sunday. Today's the last day you can get that deal. 24 multicolored roses, twenty-nine ninety-nine. It's 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon. Enter the promo code BECK. It's 1-800-Flowers.com. Promo code BECK. Offer ends today welcome to the program we have a lot to talk about uh, on tomorrow's show tomorrow is friday i'm going to tell you about the uh cat that wo- that walked 12 miles to come home to his family the family had given it away to another family 12 miles away but the cat missed the family so much it walked 12 miles back home
5: uh, may i uh ask a question did mm-hmm. the other
1: family just bring the cat back and put it in the front yard? No, it actually did walk 12 miles to get back home.
5: Did someone have a camera on the cat? How do we know? I don't know. How do we know the cat walked I don't know, but way?
1: apparently you could be a member of the family because the family uh, saw the cat and they were like, oh, how sweet, brought it to the vet and had it euthanized. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really didn't want the cat. <laughs> you know, the cat's not a good judge of character. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. God.
4: Glenn, Back. Mercury.